welcome to The Last Track, where we help people showcase the last track of their life story in their final wishes. I am your host, Brian Norris, the co-owner of Bateman Funeral Home in Newport, Oregon. Just like a song can bring you back to a day, a time, and a memory, so too can a well-planned service. Good afternoon. I'm going to cover just for a few minutes about five topics and the most frequently asked questions that I get. So with that in mind, and I also have a timer right over here to make sure that I leave Brian, Brian squared. I'm Brian, Brian squared. Leave him enough time. Cremation or burial? That is probably the, one of the first questions that I get. Other than sometimes I get a phone call and somebody will say, are they cremated yet? No. I can't cremate them right off the bat. So there are, I like to tell people that if you, if, especially if no one has talked to anybody in the family as to whether cremation or burial which is a really important thing for you to make sure you communicate to your family what your wishes are. Cremation, I tell people that the most expensive urn that you can possibly buy is less expensive than the least expensive casket that you can get. I'm not trying to sway anybody and I tell them that that's not my job my job is to 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 listen to the family and help them make those decisions but the most expensive urn that you could possibly even imagine is less expensive than your least expensive casket so if you're looking at differences between burial and cremation burial is much more expensive than cremation that's um that's what I like to let people know. The other question is that I get is, is embalming required? Because for years and years and years, especially when we were coming in to visit and, and, and have a viewing with our, our grandparents and that type of thing, embalming is not required. I want to make sure people hear that embalming is not required. If you're planning on having a viewing, uh, maybe a, a, a full viewing, a public viewing, that type of thing, then yes, embalming is highly recommended and usually required uh, in that type of a situation. But if you're just going to have a small family gathering that to say goodbye before you do the cremation or doing a burial, it is not required. That's something that I want to make sure everybody understands it is not required. Now, one of the questions that I also get is how many death certificates do I need? A lot of times I also have somebody that will come and say, well, what's a good number? And every family is just a little bit different. So rule of thumb, if a person owns property, cars, boats, those types of things. If they have multiple bank accounts, you will need more death certificates than somebody that maybe they were 
uh, on state assistance, that type of thing, or if you have a family trust, and I know a gentleman that can help you out with that, if you have a trust, you only need a couple death certificates because everything's in the trust depending on what you have there. If you're in multiple banks, each bank will probably require one certified death certificate. Things have kind of changed. It used to be you had to have a certified death certificate to stop your Reader's Digest subscription. Believe it or not, you had to pay $20 to get a certified death certificate to mail it in. And you can, you can kind of have an idea of why. Because, let's say, somebody has a fight with their spouse, and they call up and they say, this person's dead, cancel the subscription. Your spouse is not going to be happy that you canceled their Reader's Digest without a death certificate. So most places now will just take a fax. And it is true, to cancel Reader's Digest, it'll just keep coming. And if it's on auto-renew, You'll get to read it for a few years until you get a cancel. But a reader, uh, a certified copy of a death certificate comes from the county. And we can order those for the families when we sit down with them. They do cost money. In today's world, it's $25 for each certified death certificate. That wasn't my cost. That, that, that I'm not charging on that. That's just that's comes that goes to the state, and they pick them up at the county. We we usually get those for the family, but you you want to make sure you get one if you have a spouse that passes away or if you're selling a home. You're going to want to take that person's name off of the title of the home. I want to talk about next of kin real quick. Who is a legal next of kin? And I get this a lot. People come into our funeral home and they are, the family has decided that this person is going to take care of the arrangements. But sometimes, unfortunately, that person, though they may believe that they're the most qualified to do it, and they may be, but we in, the, in Oregon, you have to follow a certain hierarchy. So, real briefly, the hierarchy is a spouse. If you're not legally married and you're not a spouse and you think you're going to take care of the person that you've been living with for 30 years and it's, it's, it happens all the time, you're not. Unless, and on, a piece, and on, the, on the table there, there's an appointment form. And it's really important for a couple of reasons. If you've been together for 30 years and, and you should, and you feel like you should be the one that takes care of that person, if you're not married legally, then it goes to children over the age of 18. If there's no children over the age of 18, then it will go to surviving parents. And I've had to sit down with 98-year-old surviving parents to take care of their child because they didn't have one of these things in place. Normally, you can just get this, the signatures because they are the ones required to sign for burial or sign for cremation. And that's the important part of it. Another reason to have one of these in place 
if you're if you're sitting in a situation where let's just say you want to be buried but burial is much more expensive than cremation and if you are not sure whether you're if it might be a spouse but most of the time this is maybe a widow who is planning on having one of their children take care of their arrangements but in the state of Oregon when that person passes away, even though you have maybe even a prearrangement in place with all the money in place, it can be changed. So if you're not sure whether you have somebody that will follow your directions that is in that hierarchy, you can actually even appoint outside the family. And you can have maybe like a Brian Haggerty or a lawyer who is appointed to make sure that your wishes are followed. And that's what this piece of paper is for. Help me welcome Brian Haggerty. Thank you, Brian. I'm the other Brian. And uh, I have been doing estate planning, probate, trust administration uh, in Lincoln County for about 20 years. Um, and I could talk until you all lose consciousness about this particular subject. I'll try and keep it brief. Um, as Brian said, it is important that you talk to your family about what your plans are, not only with regard to uh, how your remains are going to be disposed of, but with regard to how your assets are going to be disposed of as well. Failing to plan is planning to fail. And if you have the very simplest situation, if you've been married to your spouse for 50 years and you have two children who are the children of the two of you, um, that's so simple a situation that you almost could get away with not doing any planning. There are relatively few of you in the room, I think, who are in that situation. Um, Brian mentioned the unmarried partner. An unmarried partner in Oregon has no rights, essentially. So if you have been together with somebody for 25 years and for some reason you've opted not to get married, you absolutely need a plan in order to protect that person and make sure that he or she is taken care of when you pass away. Um, essentially, every anything that is a little outside of that standard, you know, husband, wife, 2.6 kids, uh, married forever kind of situation will raise issues and you can either deal with those issues now or your family's going to have to deal with those issues after you're gone and it is very sad to see families that are breaking up or on the verge of breaking up because they have controversies over things that mom or dad could have made clear so I think the other thing that I want you to know about estate planning is there is more bad information in the world about estate planning than there is bad information about sex in a junior high school. <laughs> it literally is that bad. So you need a plan. Now a plan is an organized series of steps, an organized series of decisions that reach a goal. You need to identify your goals and then create a plan that gets to your goal and you have to commit to that plan. 
I very frequently see people who had a will done five years ago, and in the intervening five years, they have done things that defeat the plan that's set forth in that will. <coughs> um, how you own property matters. Your will only transfers those things that you own, just you. But you have opportunities to name beneficiaries for bank accounts, brokerage accounts. Uh, if you name beneficiaries, that account isn't going to be a part of your will. So you can have a will that says all to my three kids, <clears throat> and then you name one kid as a beneficiary of the largest account, and now you've essentially skewed your estate plan. Um, so there are a lot of a lot of very popular strategies. Creating the joint account, the joint bank account, is a very popular strategy, and it will defeat your estate plan because under the law there is a presumption that the surviving joint owner of the account owns the account. It doesn't get to your estate. It doesn't become part of your probate estate. It doesn't pass according to your will. Um, so you need to be very careful to understand your plan, commit to it, stick to it. This is true in spades if you have elected to use a revocable living trust as your estate planning vehicle. It requires that you administer that trust during your lifetime because the trust only affects those assets that are owned by you as trustee of the trust. And this is a little bit weird. The, the Oregon Supreme Court says that if you can demonstrate the intent to transfer an asset to the trust, then it's in the trust. The banks can't go that way. The bank needs to go by what you've done on the signature card with the bank. And if it doesn't say me as trustee of my trust, it's not in the trust. It can't deal with it that way. And you need to go asset by asset and make sure all of my assets are held by me as trustee of the trust. Otherwise, you end up with the trust administration and the probate. And now where you thought you were saving costs by avoiding probate, you've just doubled your costs. Um, so the plan has to be created. One of the things, I guess most of you know, I'm also a volunteer firefighter. And one of the things I've learned working with the fire department is you plan ahead. You plan not for what you think is going to happen, but you plan for whatever could happen. And your plans are always based on good information. You can't just off the cuff think, well, I, I, I'm pretty sure I named beneficiaries on my IRA. It's not good enough. You need to know. You need to find out. And uh, either, either you can do that or your long-suffering daughter can do that after you've passed away. And she may find out lots of bad information, lots of things that didn't fit into what you thought was the plan. So... You have to have a plan, you have to commit to the plan, so you know it's usually not possible to make very many changes after you've passed away, because um, our, our judges have a lot of good uh, electronic equipment. They can, they can deal with things by Skype and by email, but you are going to be out of the service area. <laughs> <laughs> not be reachable. 
And so somebody who's going to say, mom wanted this, there's no way to verify that with mom. The way you verify that is by making a will that says mom wants this. If you don't have one, if you don't have a plan in place, then who knows what's going to happen. The quick will win. Yeah? Can you talk uh, uh, about advanced directives and uh, problems with it? The advanced directive uh, is the health care directive. It allows you to name a health care representative who makes all health care decisions for you if you can't communicate. Uh, so you know there is a new form as of January 1st. If you signed the form prior to January 1st, it's still valid. But there is a new form. If you pick up one at the hospital today, I'm guessing that it's not right. Because we've been, uh, estate planning attorneys have been emailing back and forth and going, do you have a form? <laughs> um, so there is a new uh, advanced directive form. One of the things I like about it, it, is a, it allows you to just go as far as naming a healthcare representative, and it does not make you go through all of those crazy end-of-life decisions that, frankly, a lot of my clients just didn't even want to deal with it, so they didn't have an advanced directive. But you name a healthcare representative, and you give that person, that trusted person, the, the power to make uh, the decisions, and uh, then you will be fine. Um, and kind of the last thing, because I mentioned the person with the power to make decisions, that's really the key aspect to your estate plan. Who's in charge? Make sure that the, it's not your oldest child. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a lawyer. It's the person that you trust to do what you wanted, someone you trust to understand your plan and make it happen. Um, usually, usually it's one of the daughters. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but that's it's so important to put the right person in charge. Most of the most of the problems that people have with estate planning is this fascination people have of avoiding probate. <laughs> probate is a completely ordinary, normal, very useful process in Oregon. If you move to California, you don't want to be in probate. But in Oregon, it's a great process. It writes a full stop to a person's <clears throat> life. And at the end of the day, you end up with a judgment that, that puts an end to things. So all of the processes that people go through to avoid probate usually create problems rather than solving.